Um, before we get started this morning, keep, keep writing those down if, uh, if, you, if you will. Uh, before we get started in Luke chapter 1, I want to address uh, something just really quickly. Um, so it's interesting now that it's already it's Sunday, and maybe even by now it's, it's no longer fresh on our minds. It's kind of in the past, and yet it's only been about four days and, and that is the, the terrorist attack in Manchester. Um, so the reason why I'm bringing that up um, is, number one, I mean, just think about how, I mean, that has already kind of lost our minds already, right? Like, we've just kind of almost forgot about it. I was thinking about that this morning. Um, and, and so just, I want us to just pray as we get started for, uh, for them, uh, for, for their country, for their people, for those who are suffering, for those who have lost. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, I want us to pray for um, you got it um, a, a brother and a brother in Christ that uh, I had the joy of meeting about a year ago, maybe over a year ago now, um, here in Statesboro, a church planter in Sheffield, England, which I guess is not very it's not very far from Manchester, so it's like it's like from us to like Macon, um, and and that brother's planting a church in Sheffield, Sheffield Presbyterian Church. Um, and I get correspondence from him every couple weeks. Um, and just by sheer God's grace and God's providence, we met, and he was such an encouragement to me. And, and I thought about him this week, and I thought about their church um, and, and how they can be a gospel light in, in their country. Uh, and, and this isn't something new, something they've been dealing with now for a long time, um, and yet it's still harsher, hard to handle. So, so if, if we could, can we, can we pray together as, as a body of Christ to pray for another body of Christ as they um, are thinking? It's, I guarantee it's still fresh on their minds. Um, and, and so we want to, to pray for them um, and, and pray for this brother. His name is Kevin Bidwell, uh, is, his, is his name. And his, uh, pray for his family and his, the church and their elders and such. So we want to pray for the people of, of England and Manchester and those who have lost. And then we want to pray for um, Brother Kevin Bidwell. Uh, Sheffield Presbyterian Church. Um, so let's let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are so delighted to to be here this morning. Um, a, a thought that never even in probably didn't even come close to our minds this morning was the thought of any kind of real threat because of our gathering. And we want to thank you for that. And we want to thank you that we don't live in in a fear that if we gather that there's going to be some attack. That doesn't mean there couldn't be. But Lord, we are so thankful for that. We, we, we want to pray for we want to pray for England. We want to pray for Great Britain and the people of Great Britain. Father, how you have you have you have planted your church there, your people there for thousands of years, and the church still exists, even though with such secularism and and such uh, humanism that has taken over. And churches that have gone secular and have abandoned the gospel, there are still places and still people that hold close to the sufficiency of your word and the sufficiency of Christ. And so we, we pray for those brothers and sisters and for those churches, God, that they would, they would be lights of the gospel in their, in their country and use these tragedies and attacks, O oh God, for your glory. You have not, you were not closing your eyes, you didn't turn away, you didn't walk away, you weren't, you weren't out doing something else, Lord, when this happened, but God, you were sovereign over it. We pray for our brother Kevin Bidwell and his family 
and their church, Sheffield Presbyterian. We pray for them, O oh God, that you would use them as a light of the gospel in that community and in that country as they have a heart for planting gospel-centered churches not only in England but also throughout Europe. And so we pray for, for them. May the gospel be preached today faithfully when they gather for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We ought to, we ought to do that more often. Uh, pray, for, pray for them. Um, so let's recap really quick before we, we dive in. So we have an idea of what's happening uh, in, in Luke chapter 1. We've been here for a couple weeks now. Uh, so first we started off with the, the annunciation of the birth of, 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 of John to Zechariah. Right? So, the, so the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, who was an old priest, right? and his wife Elizabeth was old as well. And, and they were unable to have children their whole lives, and, and now she was even in the state where she was not able to have children regardless. And so, unable to have children, and yet here's Zechariah, faithfully serving the Lord, and then chosen by lot to go into the temple and enter into the temple and offer sacrifices in the most holy place. And so he is in there making these sacrifices, letting the, the, the aroma of the incense go up. He's doing his thing. He's, he's hit the big time. Right? And, and then, the, then here comes the angel Gabriel, scares him half to death, and angel Gabriel announces to him, fear not, dude, listen, you are going to have a child. Your wife is going to become pregnant. And, and we remember his response. His response is, okay, sure, how could that be? You know, I'm, old, I'm old, and if you think I'm old, you should see my wife kind of thing. And, 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 and the angel Gabriel is like, seriously, right? You doubt me? You doubt me? I, I sit and stand and where God's at. God told me this and to tell you, and you doubt me. And so here's Zechariah. He is disciplined, and he is uh, given uh, a, a discipline where he is mute and, and, and most likely even can't even hear uh, uh, as well. So, so there's the annunciation of the, the birth of John. And then just six months later, the angel Gabriel comes back, uh, but not to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but to the humble girl, Mary. Mary, who's about 13, 14 years old, living in the town of Nazareth, a, a know-nothing town, right? We got a couple of those in our mind, right? We know some know-nothing towns, right? Some towns, right? Y'all can understand? I mean, just nothing really big happens there unless they do it to themselves kind of thing, right? And, and so there's, they're in Nazareth. No, it's not Atlanta. It's the know-nothing town, right? The ones no one hears of unless you drive through it. And so there's nothing going on. There she's doing her thing in her humble abode. And here comes the angel of the Lord, appears before Mary and says, O favored one, Mary, O blessed one before the Lord. And she is humbled. She's completely humbled by this. She, in fact, she doesn't even say a word. She just ponders. She ponders the thought, how, how could you even say this to me? Who am I that you would say these things to me? This is what she's thinking. And he goes on to announce, you're going to have a son you're going to have a child, and his name will be Jesus, right? And, and, of course, then she asks kind of the same question, but in faith, how can this be, but I'm just a virgin? And he gives an explanation, the explanation of the Holy Spirit will come overshadow you and, and will, uh, will bring about that conception. And so a couple days later, she's, you know, the Holy Spirit's doing the thing and bringing about conception in her body, and she travels because she's also told about Elizabeth, her, her relative, and she goes to travel, 
to the hill country of Judea where uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth lives. And she probably does not know what's going on with them. Right? New, they don't send text messages and emails. They don't have newspapers. They, she traveled there, went there, and what happened? Before she can even say hello, as she was walking in, the baby John in the womb of, 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 her, of his mother, Elizabeth, leaps in her womb, proclaiming to her, prophesying to, even to her, that here comes the mother of the Messiah. Uh, and so here's where we are at this point. We get that whole thing. Uh, you can go back and listen to those, uh, to those messages. They're there. The baby, the baby leapt. Elizabeth pronounces sort of a, uh, a, a blessing on her. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you, the fruit of your, uh, of your, of your womb. And, and here is just an, an amazing experience for, for all of them uh, in seeing uh, how the Lord is working in these two in these two women. And now we get to our, to our passage this morning, um, the song, the song of, of, of Mary. The song of Mary. Now, this passage this morning is, is, is interesting. It's a song, and it just kind of like busts right in here, doesn't it? Um, it just doesn't seem that this is what, uh, uh, it doesn't seem or dry, jive really well with what Luke is trying to accomplish and, and kind of wanting us to see the details so that we would have certainty in, in the gospel. But this song here helps us to see the rejoicing in God. It helps us to see that the certainty that we are given through the gospel brings about rejoicing. Brings about rejoicing. Real human rejoicing brings about real joy, not just uh, ethereal joy that we just talk about, but real joy. It really brings about uh, a, a change. Now, this song does some interesting things for us. It, it talks about some interesting things, and it reveals a couple different things. It reveals two things. Number one, it reveals to us the stain of human pride. That seems off the wall. I know it does. We'll talk about that. It reveals the stain of human pride. And second, well, it reveals the end of the pride, like what's the ultimate end of the stain of pride. And the second is, is, is it reveals the mercy of God toward the humble. It reveals the mercy of God toward the humble. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem with talking about pride this morning, to all of us, is that no matter how well I do in this sermon, no matter how I preach it and how emotional I get or whatever it may be, no matter what it is, the proud... They're going to take a sermon like this and it's going to be used to entrench themselves deeper into pride. Because they'll say, that's not me, that was for them. So we have to come to this passage this morning when we're talking about pride and we have to come to it very humbly. We have to admit in ourselves, even right now, and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and to break our hearts in such a way that we can see our pride in our hearts. We got to. We, we, we have to see. So before we read this song, we're going to just take a second. We're not, we're not going to pray together. But I just want you to think. I want you to pray and make a simple prayer, honestly to the Lord, to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and that the Holy Spirit would search your heart and let you see what He sees. So just, if you have to close your eyes, whatever you do, and just ask the Lord, to reveal in your hearts now the things that you need to see, as I will do the same. A 
Let's look to Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation excuse me, to generation. For he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, excuse me, in their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sat down, sent away empty. He has helped the servant of Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke, these th- spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Have you ever truly thought how small we really are? Have you ever truly thought how small we, we, we really are? Um, maybe I had those moments where you just kind of felt the, 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 kind of the, the weight of the vastness of the world just as like huge. Um, maybe it was a time that if, if you've had the opportunity to, to stand at the southern rim of the Grand Canyon, that shows how small we are. Maybe, maybe even staring up at a glacier in Alaska. Maybe it was just looking into the sky in a real dark night where your eyes slowly begin to adjust and then there you see a hundred stars and then you look and there's, your eyes are adjusting even more and then you see a thousand stars and then it turns into a million stars and then before you know it, it's, it could be just a billion. And then we throw numbers like trillion. I had, I had a night like that at your property. I, I mean, it vividly still hits me when I remember standing on that dock at nighttime and was just blown away by the immensity of the quadrillions, I just made that up, of stars that I saw. It was, it was mind-blowing to me. And it's remarkable. It's, and and, and despite, despite the fact, if you are a Christian or an unbeliever or a believer, is it, despite the fact, we, when we see these things as humans, we really begin, we get humbled. We get, we get small because we're in awe of a majesty that's greater than us. We're, we're just in, in all of it. That's why the national parks are so popular. People want to go see something so much bigger than them. And that's why we, we travel to go want to see those things and those great majestic things of this world. And when we see those things, we, there's, this, there's this thought, this emotion that comes over us like a, a mixture of amazement and awe and, and even a little tinge of fear because of how small we really are, how frail we really are. Let me come at it from a, a, a different angle now. If you, if you stay in one place long enough, it's, it's easy to think that this and where we are right now is all there is. But if you travel, if you've been around the world, you, you begin to see and experience that this world is huge. And it doesn't matter how fast it takes you to get there, to get on an airplane and fly, com- relatively compared to maybe the back in the day. When you get there, you're exhausted. And why is that? Because you just went thousands of miles. 
You're in different time zones. Or, or maybe you've been a victim of the time zone, right, where someone has called you when it's like middle of the day, and they're like, this is such a great place, and it's like 2 in the morning for you, three days behind. Maybe you've been, ever been a victim of, of the time zone when someone calls you across the, the world. This world is, is huge. And, and think about it. So, so you guys just traveled, right? And I, I've, I've been just south. I've never been really too far east and west. But just think, right now, there are, there are millions and billions of people doing life, just like we do life right here, just in their own way. So, so right now, of course, there's trillions of people sleeping, but, but there's also people who are laughing right now. There's people crying right now. There's, there's people walking through the darkest darkness they've ever experienced and ever thought they would ever experience. Imagine the families in England that have lost their loved ones this week. Couldn't imagine that taking place. That there's thousands of people all over the place. So there's loneliness, there's, there's pain, and in the same moments they're still laughing. And, and yet this mind-blowing reality is, it shows us that this world is huge and we are small. And that every one of these details of, of everyday life and every person's life and every town, every city, the insignificant city to the great largest of all cities, countries, nations, worlds, oceans, fishes, air, space, universe, all of these things, every molecule, every cell, every atom is sovereignly controlled by God. And this is a reality that just flows through Scripture. He is sovereign over all. I can't fathom this. And, and, and the, the more I try to think about it, the more I can't fathom it. I can't, under, I can't comprehend it. I know it's true. doesn't mean I can't comprehend it. And one of the reasons why I can't comprehend it is because most of the time I can barely keep my head above water. Figuratively speaking. I can swim pretty good. But the Lord, the Lord has ordained and controls and he orchestrates the whole world, the whole universe in a macro and a micro sense. And he doesn't even break a sweat. It doesn't even exhaust him. It doesn't frustrate him. I got frustrated yesterday because I couldn't control the chaos that was happening around me, at least my perceived chaos. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He's the creator of the universe. He knows everything and everyone that exists and has ever existed and will exist. He's created all of them. He, he, and he looked down. He looked down at these two women, insignificant women, in a, in a, in a, in a time and a culture where, where good Jewish men would pray. They would pray this, thank you God for not making me a Gentile and God thank you for not making me a woman. And here's God looking at these two women. Insignificant and small and meaningless before the world. But God looked down upon them and chose them. He chose them to do and bring about the greatest work. The birth of his son. And this is what Mary's song is about. This is, this is why Mary is so mind-blown when she sings this song in her response to, to how Elizabeth blesses her. Because she's like, how can it be? 
How can it be that this mighty God looked upon the humble estate of His servant and has blessed me? Sovereign God, how can you do amazing? She is mind-blown. She is mind-blown that God would look at her and say, Oh, favored one. And this is what God does. This is, the, once again, the overwhelming reality throughout the Scripture that the sovereign God of the, of the universe, the mighty sovereign God of the universe, who's control of all things, He looked upon the lowly and He lifts them up. Over and over again. David remarks on this, this reality in Psalm 8 about the, the vastness of the world and how God looked upon them in His lowly state. In Psalm 8, verses 3-4, through 4, it says, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, right? He's having this moment that I had on the dock. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? There is profound joy, mind-blowing, that takes place when the vastness and the majesty of God intersects into the small and the humble. And this is what's taking place in this passage. Mary sings and she rejoices. She magnifies in the Lord. She's not making God bigger with a magnifying glass. No, it's like a telescope. She's looking at the Lord through the lens of a telescope and realizing how big God is. And so God is becoming big in her heart. God is becoming big in her. So she rejoices. Her mind is blown. And this is the kind of joy that, that we get as, as small, insignificant people, sinners, lost, when God looks upon us with, with, with joy and brings about grace and salvation in our life, giving us faith. And we, when we are, when our small lives intersect with the sovereign grace of God, we rejoice. We have profound joy in this. But one of the greatest assaults, one of the greatest assaults that I believe to God's holiness and God's glory is our pride. Scriptures show this. It's what flows throughout the Bible once again. Proverbs chapter 6. God hates the haughty eyes of man. In fact, in this hatred, it's an abomination to him. You know what's an abomination to me? Stinky diapers. And therefore, I don't keep them around. I get rid of them. And this is, look, look at the, right? We, we like to say, oh, God loves everyone. In some way, God, we do. God loves his creation. But look here. What does God hate? He hates pride. It's an abomination to him. So this isn't just the opinion of Luke chapter 1 or, or Proverbs 6. This is a truth that is running throughout Scripture. And it doesn't take long to see this re reoccurring theme over and over again. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and the perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And then we can look to the, Old, or the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes.